Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness. Thank you for bringing us here today to hear the message. Lord, I pray that you would help me to decrease so that you may increase, to become less so that you can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way this morning and that your people would not hear me or see me, but they would hear you and see you. Lord, I pray that you would keep me from teaching error. I pray that you would keep your people from believing a lie. Lord, give us discernment this morning as we hear these truths. And I pray that we would walk out of here, Lord, understanding the the depth of our depravity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you again to RBC. Thank you for being with us this morning. You can go ahead and plug that in at any time. The last time that we were together, we looked at the sovereignty of God. And let me just say as a side note. As we're going through these doctrines of grace, it is of the utmost importance that you are here for every single lesson. If you're not here for the lesson, I encourage you to get the CD because you are going to be completely lost if you miss any of these lessons. So the last time that we were together, we talked about the sovereignty of God and we agreed that God is sovereign. Amen. Amen. And at the most basic level of the understanding of sovereignty, we agreed that sovereignty simply means control. But we sought to understand biblically just how sovereign is our sovereign God. We sought to understand this doctrine from the scriptures rather than relying on our own human intellect, because humanity, if left to themselves, will always seek to place limitations on God. We learn that God is sovereign over nature. God commands the sun to burn and the moon to shine, and they both obey. God commands the winds and the waves, and they obey. God commands the earthquakes and the typhoons, and they obey. God is also sovereign over nations, peoples, and pursuits. We learn that God rose up Pharaoh and his earthly kingdom only to bring Pharaoh and that earthly kingdom to its knees. And in doing so, they acknowledge that there is only one sovereign over the universe, and that is the Lord God Most High. We learned that God also used King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon for the very same purpose to display the glory, power and sovereignty of the Lord God most high to the point that even this pagan king declared in Daniel chapter four, his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. God is sovereign. We learn that God is also sovereign over salvation. And we, we took Paul as our example or Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, who, while on his way to imprison and persecute Christians, was redirected by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he himself became a Christian, a follower of Christ. This act of salvation was initiated by Christ, not by Paul. Why? Because God is sovereign. The question that arose from our last session, and it may still be burning in your minds this morning, is this. If God is sovereign, how can man be free? You may have thought and the question did arise. If God is sovereign, what about my free will? What about my ability to choose whatever I desire to choose? Don't I have the right to choose whatever my heart desires to choose? And I must admit this morning. You do have the right. right. You do have the right to choose whatever you desire. 
to choose. And yes, you have the ability to choose that which your heart desires. The question is, what does your heart desire? What are the desires of your heart? And this will be the questions that are the backdrop of what we will talk about today. Today, I would like to discuss with you the doctrine of total depravity. It is the T in the acrostic of tulip. And if you've been struggling with these doctrines of grace so far, then I pray that the next two weeks, the Holy Spirit will give you understanding, give understanding to your hearts and minds concerning these so-called doctrines of grace. What we what we will be presenting for the next two weeks is what Dr. Stephen Lawson describes as the bad news. But as he explains, you will not be able to appreciate, enjoy the good news unless you first understand the bad news for all that the bad news is and all that the bad news is worth. You must understand the bad news before you can understand the good news. What is total depravity? Total depravity is this. It is a description of humanity. It has been called radical depravity or total inability. But the word total means entire. It means complete, whole, absolute, full or utter. The word depravity or depraved means corrupt, perverted, deviant, degenerate and immoral. Therefore, total depravity is the doctrine that describes humanity, you and I. As being entirely, completely, and utterly corrupt, perverted, and immoral. That is the description of humanity. The doctrine of total depravity, however, does not mean or teach that humanity is as sinful as it could be. Although it, it, it describes humanity as being depraved or corrupt, it does not describe humanity as being as bad as it could be. So you're bad. But you're not as bad as you could be were it not for the grace of God restraining your evil. Because God, again, like Pharaoh, has his hand on humanity and he is restraining us from the extent of evil that we would like to pursue. How many times have you had a thought in your mind that you said, I wish I could. Well, why don't you? Because there is some restraining hand over your evil. This is. This true state of humanity, past, present and future. And we know this to be true because this is exactly what the what the Bible describes us as being. The question is this. Why is this the description of humanity? If the Bible is describing us and we'll see how why it is. If the Bible is describing us as being totally depraved, why does it do so? How is it that we could make such a blanket statement over all of humanity in light of the fact that there have been apparently good people who have lived throughout time? That means every single person is evil. Every single person is depraved. Every single there have been no good people. Well, in order to understand the answer to these questions, we must go to the scriptures again. Remember, if we attempt to understand it within our own reason, we will always put limitations on God. It is always best to see what God says from his own mouth rather than from our own minds. Try to determine what God says or what God is. Amen. Amen. So 
In order for us to understand this doctrine, we must return to the scene of the crime. In order for us to understand this doctrine, we've got to return to the scene of the crime. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. Now, as you're turning there to Genesis, many of you have an understanding of where we're going. Back to the garden. But I must ask you this question. What really happened there? You may say, well, Adam and Eve sinned and that's where it all began. But what do you mean by that? Where all of what began? Sin, right? But what was the consequence of that sin? We know that Adam and Eve sinned, but what were the ramifications of that act that took place in the garden? What was the result of that sin? Let's find out together. I'm going to take one page back. Genesis 126. It said, then God said, let, the, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all of the earth, every over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image In the image of God. He created him and male him, male and female. And he created them. God has created man in his own image. Listen, man at this point is perfect. Man was created perfect. There was no ounce of sin in him. Not in his body, not in his mind, not in his soul. There were no diseases, no sicknesses, no physical imperfections whatsoever. He was perfect. There was no conflict in his mind. He was a rational creature. There was no sinful thoughts racing through his head. There were no sinful desires that were being formulated in his mind. Man also had a perfect will and the ability to please God. In fact, it was his desire to please God. It was man's desire being uncorrupted. It was his desire to please God. He had no other desire but please my God. He had the ability also to apply that will to his desires. And in doing so, he would be accepted by God. Pleasing, able to please God because of his good works. He was perfect, pure, sinless. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat or freely from every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. God takes this perfect man, Adam. Places him in a place where he must work and have responsibility. But God gives him the first command and also the first consequence. The command is don't eat. The consequence is if you do, you die. The first command, don't eat. The first consequence, you will die if you do so. Amen. Amen. This tree, don't eat of it. If you choose because you are free to choose. To obey me and please me or disobey me and die. You have the freedom. God speaks to Adam. This man is perfectly able to understand the command of God without twisting it in his mind. And also resisting that sin. He's able to not twist it and also not resist it. 
He's able to say, I won't I won't twist the command of God and I will also not resist the command of God. I will obey and therefore please my God. Because I'm uncorrupted. I have no sin in me. Adam is perfectly capable of applying his will to obey God. The consequence again, if you eat of this, you will surely die. Not possibly. Not one day your body will disintegrate or decay. You will die. In Genesis 2, 18 verses, uh, verses 18 to 25, God gives Adam a helper named Eve. And there they live in the garden together. This or there is Adam. In the Garden of Eden with his wife, Eve, and the two of them are living in this garden. It is the responsibility of Adam to take care of the garden and also to take care of this woman, Eve. He informed her about the commands of God and the responsibility that they have in the garden. No one knows how much time passed, but some time passed. Genesis chapter three. Uncorrupted, perfect. Living in perfect harmony with God, verse one, now the serpent, who was more crafty than any of the other beasts in the field that the Lord God had made. This is the first appearance of Satan. He has apparently filled the serpent and taken over its body. He is, the Bible says, more crafty or more deceitful than any and every other creature of all creation. He comes to Eve with seemingly an innocent question. Because Satan always presents himself as an angel of light. It seems like an innocent question. Here's the question. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? In other words, is it true that God has restricted you from all of the wonderful delights this place has to offer? Response. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat. Of the fruit in the tree of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Eve expresses her confidence in God. Of course, we can eat the trees of the garden with the exception of one. We are not to go near that that tree. We're not to even touch that tree. The addition of touching and going near possibly added by Adam. Woman, don't go near it. Don't even touch it. And he emphasized that if we do, we'll die. Verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The lying murderer comes to Eve and lies to her face about God. Jesus said in John eight forty four, Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. What is the lie? You can be God. That was a lie. It was not so much you can be like God. The lie was you can be God. If your eyes are open and in being open, you can see what God sees. You are not just like God. You yourself have become a God. It is the desire of humanity today to be autonomous and to also be their own God, to live their lives their own way. Just like the Burger King uh, slogan, you can have it your way. And I guess nowadays they're also supporting the homosexual movement and they're saying you can do it your way or live it your way. They have right now called a rainbow burger celebrating homosexuality. 
I encourage you. I know that their Whoppers are amazing. I know that their French fries are wonderful. But we must take a stand and we must make a statement by saying we will no longer support this group. If this franchise or this business wants to tell us how we're supposed to celebrate. Then we'll no longer give them our money. You can make, create your own world. You can make, create your own garden. And this suggestion sent this woman's head into a tailspin. Verse six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took some of its fruit. Now, I put this up here because I wanted you to see some. And next, she also gave some to her husband. And I put it in all caps, who was with her and he ate. You've got to understand that in the midst of all the deception that is going on, Adam is standing right there watching the whole thing go down. He was not somewhere far off. And then she comes to him and says, look what I found. Instead, he stood there and gawked during the deception. The woman was deceived and Satan was telling that it, it deceived that Satan was telling the truth that maybe she misunderstood God or maybe she even misunderstood Adam. She was seduced. She was de- she was deceived. She believed that maybe she was doing a good thing. Adam, on the other hand, was not deceived. Adam was not seduced. Adam knew exactly what he was doing and he was acting in complete disobedience to the command of God. She was seduced. He was fully aware of what he was doing. He was there. He watched the whole thing. He allowed his wife to be seduced and he even waited to see if she would die. He watches this woman partake of the fruit. And when she bites, she says, now let me see if she's going to fall down dead. She bites and she's okay. His mind says, well, maybe God is lying to me. And in that moment, he made up his mind about God. This man who was perfectly rational in his mind, who could use his will to resist sin and who also knew the command of God, chose freely to sin against God. The Bible says in verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. I encourage you to read the rest of the story on your own. But I have a question for you. And I have a lot of them. What was the punishment that God issued out to this man if he willingly disobeyed him? He died. We know about the pain of childbirth and women. You are all living examples of that. And so are we men. We know about ground that is not going to produce fruit. And not to discount those punishments, but what was the real consequence of their sin? Someone said death. The real consequence of their sin is known as original sin. Original sin does not refer to the act of sin from Adam and Eve, but the result of sin from Adam and Eve. Not the act. The act is the act. The act is the scene of the crime. But the result of it is known as original sin. R.C. Sproul says, Original sin is the corruption visited on the progeny of our parents as 
punishment for the original transgression. In other words, original sin is the result of Adam and Eve of their sin that they passed down to humanity. The result is depravity. The act was disobedience. The result is corruption. On every single human being that would live after Adam and Eve. The act was sin. The result was now you and I are corrupt. We lost more than the garden. We lost more than our innocence. We became totally, completely depraved. And I want to share with you three ways in which we have been depraved or corrupted. Number one, we've been corrupted in our minds. The mind is a source of all rational thought. Prior to the sin of Adam, which resulted in the fall of man, human beings had perfectly rational minds. There was no conflict in our minds. There was no conflict when it came to rationalizing or understanding a good decision from a bad decision. We had no problem choosing the good. But because we have now been corrupted because of original sin, now there is conflict. Every single day you face conflict. Every single day there is a conflict in your mind to choose good rather than evil. Because your mind is bent toward evil. It is harder to choose the good than it is to choose the evil. Why? Because you are now corrupt. Isn't it easier to tell a lie than it is to tell the truth? Why? Why is it so hard to tell the truth? Because you're corrupt. We are corrupt. Let me just not exclude myself. We are corrupt. We are depraved. This book uh, that I've been reading, a man by the name of Steele, and I don't, there's three other authors, but I wanted to get this quote. It's from a book that they wrote called The Five Points of Calvinism. It says this. Man did not come from the hands of his creator depraved. Corrupt condition in this depraved, corrupt condition. God made Adam upright. There was no evil whatsoever in his nature. Originally, Adam's will was free from the dominion of sin. He was under no natural compulsion to choose evil. But through his fall, he brought spiritual death upon himself and all his posterity. You and I. He thereby plunged himself and his descendants, you and I, and the entire human race into spiritual ruin and loss for himself and his descendants. Listen, the ability to make right choices in the spiritual realm. When Adam sinned, he set the minds of all of his descendants into a state of corruption. The fall did not destroy your intellect or your reasoning. You can still do a good thing. You can still give a good thing, but you cannot do a good thing to please God. Your intellect is now depraved. It's perverted. The mind is disabled. The mind is defiled. The mind is subject to misunderstanding or twisting truths. The Bible tells us in Romans 128 that sinful humanity has no desire to retain the knowledge of God. Therefore, God gave humanity over to a depraved mind, a debased mind. Martin Murphy, in his essay on total depravity, says this. The desire of all humanity is to repress or suppress the knowledge of God. Since that knowledge is the haunting punishment of the sin of idolatry. Men cannot think about the nature and character of God because they are reminded 
of the punishment that will come from his hand. You need some scriptures. Romans 8, 7 says this. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not submit to God. Listen, God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Do you know the difference between can and may? The difference between can and may, can is you have the ability to. May is you can anytime you want to. But you need permission. You remember that when you were a child growing up in, in grade school when they would say, can I go sharpen my pencil? And they say, I don't know. Can you? You mean, may I? And then you wait for the teacher's permission. Romans 8, 7 says, you cannot. What does cannot mean? You don't have the ability to submit to the law of God. Those who are in the flesh cannot even please God. So, first of all, your mind can't submit to the word of God. And your flesh can't, does not have the ability to please God. That's just one. I've got a whole list of them. I just wrote three because I would stay on them forever. First Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There is something he's not able to do because he's a natural man. Only through the spirit of God can a natural man understand the things of God. Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. If you want more scriptures, I will give them all to you. You will be amazed at how overwhelming it is when the Bible starts to emphasize what you can't do because of your corruption. This is the condition of fallen man. Their minds are defiled. They are not able to understand the things of the spirit. They are, they are unable to submit to God. We see evidence of this depraved, corrupted mind in everyday life. Family life has become more of a pragmatic arrangement rather than a God-appointed institution. Educational institutions, they reflect anti-God dispositions. Anything having to do with Christ is seen as anti-intellectual. The judicial system... The house of indiscriminate subjectivity rather than than a place of objective justice and a place where the political arena is safe. From the depraved, it is ran by the depraved. We lost more than the garden, man. We lost our minds. Number two, we lost. We have a corrupted will. When Adam was created, he had the ability to apply his will to obey and please God. His will was to love God and to do good. There was no conflict in his will towards God. He desired to please God and he could therefore apply that uncorrupted will to that desire. Thus, he pleased God. Every decision he made was in perfect Harmony and union with what God commanded. But when Adam fell, his will became perverted. The fall left the will 
of man, unable to perform any spiritual good. The will is a part of the soul. I probably answered this wrong the other week, Rosa, that makes decisions or choices according to its desires. We asked in the beginning, are you able to choose whatever your heart desires? Yes, you are able to choose whatever your heart desires. The problem is everything your heart desires is sinful. So you are free to choose, brothers and sisters. Go ahead, choose away. You will only choose the evil because you cannot choose good. These are not two equal choices or two equal abilities within you. You do not have the equal ability to choose good in the same capacity or same level of choosing evil. The scales are uneven. You will always choose evil because you have no ability to choose good. Unless God grants that ability. We may do good. We may give to charities. We may clothe the naked. We may give food to the hungry, shelter the homeless. But we can do no spiritual good to please God on our own. If you can do good and in doing good, you please God, then there was no reason for Christ to go to the cross. The work of Christ, the perfect life, the perfect sacrifice of Christ was meaningless if you could have done it on your own. Our wills are now corrupt and in bondage to sin. We cannot choose what is good spiritually. We only can choose that which pleases ourselves. Do you think that these celebrities who are giving big time money and doing big time things are giving it because they want to please God? No, they are doing it to make themselves feel better about themselves. They will say, no, it's for other people, but you get satisfaction out of it. It ultimately pumps up your ego. John eight forty four says you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Ephesians 2, 2, 1 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You and I. Second, Timothy two twenty five. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. John eight thirty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Romans six twenty. When you were slaves to sin, you were free. Listen, in regard to righteousness, you were free from righteousness because you were a slave to sin. Man cannot apply his so-called free will to do good because man is a slave to sin. All that you and I know how to do is sin. And we can do it really well. Whether you were a vicious murderer of the body or a slanderous murderer with words, you were a sinner and a murderer at heart. We must see. That in the fall, we lost our ability to plot, to apply our wills to do any spiritual good because our wills were captured by Satan. 
We desired to apply our will to do as he did. And this is for everyone. The Bible says in, in Second Chronicles 636, there was no one who does not sin. Romans 3, 9. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. This is the state of man. And you want to talk about free will? What are you going to apply your free will to do? You are only going to apply your free will to do that which your heart desires. Which leads us to our next point and final. Our desires became corrupt. Our minds, our wills, and our desires. When God created Adam, he created Adam perfectly. And the only desire again was that for Adam was to please his creator. Listen, that was his sole driving passion in life. Please God. Love. He was so in love with God that his only desire was, please, God, you are my satisfaction. You are all that I need, all that I want. There is no conflict in my mind. You are my soul driving passion. It's what woke him up in the morning. It's what motivated him throughout the day. It's what gave him peace as he laid at night, knowing my my satisfaction is fulfilled in, in God. He only knew. He knew that why he existed was to please God. God was his satisfaction until until Satan made made a suggestion. Maybe there's more satisfaction. Maybe there's more delight in that tree. You're finding a lot of satisfaction in God. Maybe there's more in that tree. Maybe you can be even more fulfilled. Maybe you can be even more satisfied if you partook of that tree. And at that moment, Adam chose to freely seek a passion outside of the passion that he had found in God. And his desires, his passions, his affections became corrupt. And that's what he passed on to you and I. Our desire... Is for evil. You may say, no, it's not. My, my desire is not always for evil. Yes, it is. Your desires are always about one particular person. You. Our passions and our pursuits are not for God and his holiness. Rather, our passions and our affections are so corrupt that all we apply those passions to do or for is ourselves to please ourselves. We're passion seekers, aren't we? We seek passions and we believe that we found them in cars, clothes, substances, destinations, euphoric feelings, thrills and chills. We are passion seekers. We live our lives trying to find out the next thing that's going to give us joy. And we seek all of these passions in everything except for God. He's the last thing that we finally said. How many of you, Louis has said this thousands of times when I've heard him preaching, man, I did it all. I had this and I had that. How is it that we finally come to the end of seeking all these passions to finally come to the one true passion that satisfies is God? Because we were depraved, we were corrupt. And were it not for the grace of God, we would still be trying to look for love in all the wrong places. As Eddie Murphy sang. Or whoever the original singer was. 
the Lord Bible, the Bible says in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was so great that every inclination of his thoughts, the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Genesis 8, 21, the intention of man's evil, the intentions of man's heart is evil from youth. Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitfully above all things, desperately wicked and sick. Who can understand it? John 3.19, this is the judgment. Light has come to the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Ephesians 4.18-19, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and even given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is just a few again. There's so much. We would never leave if I gave you all of them. Man does exactly what he wants. Man seeks and does what's right in his own eyes. You go to any person on the street and say, well, I think I'll be okay in the end. God is going to accept me based upon what I think I'm, what I've done justifying themselves. And religion is the highest point of man trying to justify themselves before God, saying, look at all the works that I've done. I've been a good person. You should accept me based upon the things that I've done, my own works and my own merits. This is the condition of our of, of man. Our minds are darkened. Our wills have become disabled and the desires of our heart are perverted. If this is the condition of man, how can any man save himself? If this is the condition of man, how can any man save himself? You tell someone, all you have to do is just choose God, man. He's just waiting for you. He'll take you in. You just got to make the right decision. But it's up to you. You're telling a dead man. To bring themselves back to life. They can't. It's impossible. To tell someone just get yourself together. They, they can't get themselves together. They are jacked up. You're telling a person to do something that they're incapable of doing. Apart from the grace of God. No one is righteous. This is the description of man. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've all become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throats are open grave. They use their, t- they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. The mouth, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God in their eyes. You tell me how a man in this condition can pull himself up from his own bootstraps apart from the grace of God. It is impossible. And that's good news. That's the bad news. But the good news is Christ has done this. Only Christ can do this. So you're sitting here. I just explained to you the condition that you were in B.C. Before Christ. Christ comes and lifts you up out of your grave and gives you life that you could not give to yourself. This good news is only good news when you understand the depth of that bad news. If you say, yes, they can do it on their own, then you are denying the plain and main teachings of Scripture. That man is depraved, corrupt, and there is absolutely nothing they can do to save themselves. The Westminster Confession says this. Man, by his fall into a state of sin, have wholly lost the ability to the, the ability of will 
to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. You've lost the ability to do anything to save yourself. So as a natural man being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. God promised Adam that if he disobeyed that he would die. And that's exactly what happened. When Adam sinned, he passed on spiritual death to every human being that would come thereafter. Romans 5.12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all men have sinned. One of my favorite passages is Ephesians 2. One, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. This is you. This is me carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Colossians 2.13, and we'll finish with this. You were dead in your trespasses and the and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God has made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. If this is the condition of man, there is only one way we can be saved, and that is by the grace of God. This is called total depravity. I've hinted to next week's lesson here and there, but next week we're going to talk about absolute inability. And we're going to show you from the scriptures how we are absolutely unable to save ourselves or to do any spiritual good to save ourselves. We're going to talk about a man named Augustine and a man named Pelagius and find out where this controversy began and how this controversy still continues to this day. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus name. We thank you, Lord, for we thank you for the bad news. Because it is the the black velvet backdrop to which the diamond sparkles all the more. The diamond, which is the good news of the gospel. I love the the analogy of of Stephen Lawson, where, where he speaks about that diamond that was brought out. And it was a beautiful diamond, but could not really appreciate the diamond until the jeweler placed it on a black velvet. And all of the the luster that is in that diamond began to sparkle and shine. And the preciousness of that diamond became clear to that man. This is special. This is rare. Lord, you are giving us the gospel and it is that diamond presented before us and those who hear and believe and respond with repentance Lord, those are the ones that you've called as your own i beg you lord and pray that you would according to your will lord in your good pleasure open up the eyes of those who are in this place I'm not so dull to know or to believe that everyone in this place will get it, but I want to believe that. I want to believe that they will.
I know you're a sovereign Lord. That is, your, your will will be done. And I trust in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.